This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be at this very minute. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, a live call-in show. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to talk about anything pet-related you want to talk about. I always uh, have some stuff planned, but I'm happy to change those plans for you. Easy to get a hold of me at 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Join us live here online. You can do so by logging on to Pet Life Radio, clicking on the Ask the Vets tab, and you will see a Google Hangout link. Very easy to use. Just click on it, and you can join us here live and have your pet sitting on your lap with you. Let me see your little monster. And I want to thank our sponsors, Brevecto, More Than a Cone, and Save This Life Microchip for allowing us to be here with you. And um, I hope you, uh, those of you who are celebrating, having a good Hanukkah. I know my grandkids like it. They love getting, this is the fifth night of presents coming up, or, or six actually, tonight. And uh, they're having a blast. What can I tell you? It's a, it's a fun holiday for the kids. And we got Christmas right around the corner coming up. In fact, next Sunday on the eve, I'll be doing a CBS affiliate morning news program, talking about some holiday safety tips. And I will still most likely be here with you at 9 o'clock or noon, uh, 9 o'clock a.m., because I have to be at studio at 7. And I've had a busy week, speaking of doing some media stuff. I was away last week in Park City, Utah, having a blast, I might add, though I did kind of uh, re-injure a shoulder of mine. I'm not too happy about that, with another conference coming up at the end of this month, but I'm doing much better. And um, then I literally got back on last Sunday, a week ago, and Monday morning on a plane to New York, doing a satellite media tour for Zoetis, talking about Holidays, talking about Cilio, which is the first and only medication approved for noise phobias, noise aversion in dogs. And of course, with all the holidays coming up, a lot of activity, a lot of noise, a lot of kids' toys shooting off and fireworks coming up for New Year's. If you have dogs that might get a little anxious, uh, you might talk to your veterinarian about Cilio by Zoetis. And another great product, and it is, it's also the first and only FDA approved product for dogs for motion sickness. So considering last, this was an amazing statistic, 2016, December, uh, over holiday time, which is one year ago, 103 million people traveling for the holidays. It probably should be no different. And of those, 93.6 million, almost 94 million of them traveling by car. And we certainly know how much we love to take our pets with us in the car. It's the most fun. We want to take them with us. There are now pet-friendly hotels and pet-friendly rentals and pet-friendly this and pet-friendly that. And, you know, a lot of, over half of you, and this is an interesting statistic, modified your plans. That includes canceling them if you couldn't take your pet with you. So um, I know those of you would like to, but if you have a dog, if yours is one of the 11 million that suffer from motion sickness, you might want to talk to your veterinarian about Serenia. It is FDA approved. It is non-drowsy. It is very effective. Uh, you give it just once a day for two consecutive days. Um, I don't think you'll be traveling by car for much more than that. And um, in uh, one test, dogs that were known to be motion sickness, uh, one of the symptoms, of course, vomiting. I mean, other things to be looking at would be salivating, pacing, shaking, things like that. But so they took these dogs that typically vomit. In a one-hour car ride, 93% of them that normally do vomit did not vomit. So it's pretty darn effective. 
So uh, anyway, think about that. And uh, so I had a great time in New York. We, I don't know, I think I visited something like 30 stations in four hours. And it was a, a great tour. Anyway, back here, back into the grind, back here with you. So if there's anything you want to talk about, 877-385-8882. Very easy to get a hold of us. So as always, I have some things I want to talk about towards the end of the show. And I'm, I'd be very interested to, to have you chime in. And it's something that, that veterinarians deal with and understand. But many of you don't. And yet you might be spoken to about it by your veterinarian when you are talking about some sometimes often severe conditions with your pets. And that is what we call salvage procedures. What is a salvage procedure? And we're going to talk about that and when to go for it, when to sit back and wait a little bit and go from there. Anyway, just some things in the AVMA Smart Brief that caught my eye. So for one thing, a group of veterinarians, this is being done through the Golden Retriever Clubs. They are collecting samples from over three thousand purebred goldens. You're taking nails, hair, and fluid samples, and they're getting basically all sorts of DNA information. We know that golden retrievers have a number of diseases that are associated with them, and maybe now pretty much second to boxers, maybe even taking over. They are the number one or, or number two cancer dog. As a matter of fact, 75% of golden retrievers will be stricken with some form of cancer in their lives. So it's a, a magnificent breed. They are one of the best family dogs on the planet. And anyway, unfortunately, because of just they becoming so popular, and even though the breeders are, are I mean, they get things that they know, hip dysplasia, we can breed out. The eye dysplasias, we can breed out. But there are some, a lot of things we can't predict the cancer. So of course, they are trying to do that using uh, DNA, gene studies, predictability, and maybe you can use that same information for people looking for certain genetic markers that could predict certain cancers. Very, very important stuff. This was really cool. Nothing new to me, of course, having grown up in such a household, but this from the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. And what they determined is that kids, this is really cool, kids born to pregnant mothers that were exposed at least an hour a day to an indoor dog, okay, an hour a day during pregnancy, that those kids have much less likelihood of developing eczema when they are growing up as toddlers. And um, so that's really cool. Now, we know that kids growing up with dogs have less tendencies of developing asthma, but that's the kid, that's the baby, you know, itself. That was me growing up in a house with a lot of dogs, a lot of pets and cats. But here, this is pregnant mothers exposure to the uh, certain allergens from dogs and their unborn kids when they're when born will have less likelihood uh, to develop eczema which i think is pretty cool so for all of you pregnant people that might be pregnant and listening which is unusual because i would imagine if you're listening to my show you already have pets but if for some reason you don't if you just have maybe just a bird or or a, a non-haired animal like a snake, you might consider getting a dog. It might help your little one when uh, when born. Uh, this is just for any of you feeding Darwin natural products. They did a voluntary, I have to add, there's been no, no hard and fast proof yet, but there was suspicion that a couple of lots of their natural selections brand meals for dogs from possible salmonella contamination. So if you feed your pets Darwin naturals, go online, go online and check and see if your bag, your lot number is one that you should consider returning free, of course, and you'll get a replacement. This is really cool too. This is from the Denver's Bruce Randolph School. And what they do, they have brought 
therapy dogs, six therapy dogs into the school. It's it's an elementary middle school to help students handle stress from anger and addiction. And it's three years old. And the, the difference having these kids work with these dogs has been, according to their school psychologist, incredibly significant. So I think that's really, really, really cool. Very successful. I remember a story years and years and years ago, read it in, in, I think it was in People Magazine about a school counselor in Minnesota who had a very difficult, you know, a number of difficult students, but this one particular was a high school counselor, a very tough kid to work, to work with. He couldn't break into him. This kid was uh, being you know, an object of being bullied. He, he had a bad family life, you know, bad home situation. I mean, every negative against this poor kid. And, um, he was an introvert, maybe a little slow as far as socially, and this counselor really had a tough time with him. Anyway, fast forward to one day, the counselor had to take his Labrador retriever into his vet immediately after school. So obviously a lab, um, I know them very well, I've had him for 40 years, and very well behaved. So he brought him to, to school, brought his dog bed, and the dog was sitting in the corner, and that way when, when school was over, the counselor can get in the car and go straight to the vet instead of having to go home first. So, P.S., it happened to be a day that he had a session with this difficult child, this difficult kid. And so he's in there, the dog's sitting in his corner, uh, the kid's sitting in the chair, of course, quiet, not really talking much, just, you know, just this poor kid. And poor counselor, too, trying to break into this kid. Anyway, the counselor's secretary had to call him out of the office for a minute. So he excuses himself. He walks out of the office. It was like literally 10 seconds. He left, of course, the door open a little bit. And uh, as he's walking in, he sees that the kid is not in his chair. And he opens the door a little bit more. The kid is in the corner on the floor talking to the dog, more talking than he's done to other kids or the counselor. At this point, the counselor realized the significance, the importance of how kids can relate to animals. And it turns out the good news at the end of the story, the dog is now the school mascot and used to, would come. I'm sure he's gone by now. This was so long ago. But um, he used to come to school every single day to be with the counselor. So, you know, that's the power that dogs have. You know, we say, you know, get the poodle instead of the Prozac and, you know, uh, for, for medicine, you know, get the Labrador instead of the Lipitor. I mean, there are so many reasons to have pets in your home and your world. Now, this was something that I have feared for a while. And I, I think we may have spoken about this before, but veterinary medicine is starting to really get priced out of the market. And the reason for that is, A, the fight over what we call the debt to income ratio, the DIR, debt to income ratio. And that is that these kids, if they can even get into vet school, which we know how difficult that is, are graduating on average with $175,000 in debt. And they can't, many of them, based on the earning power, it's going to take them almost a whole practice career to pay off their debts. And by doing so, they can't, you know, they can't buy a house. They can't I mean, I, I think, honestly, that's one of the reasons that why veterinary schools now are graduating 80% women, because historically, women aren't usually looked at as the primary breadwinner of a family. And uh, and for them, the money they can earn and not having to have that pressure, it's a perfect career. And let's face it, women, I believe, are much more passionate. Uh, at least they exhibit it more. And I, I just know for myself that when it comes to clients who really can't judge how good we are as practitioners, as doctors, but they can judge how much we love their pets, how good listeners we are, how attentive we are to them, how much caring. In fact, I, when I lecture, I have a slide. It says, the truth is clients really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think women have guys killed in that category. And um, so 
I, unfortunately, a lot of people that would really be fantastic veterinarians and have the passion and have the love aren't going because they just, they can't afford it. And when I think about back in the day, having gone to Davis, I mean, and again, you have to put it into perspective. It was many years ago, 30, I started vet school in 1980. So at 37 years ago, but I will tell you that I went to UC Davis, which was number one in the country, and now it's number one in the world the last year or two. And my tuition was $500 a quarter, $1,500 a year. I mean, that's like, can you imagine going to like Harvard Law School or, or, or Stanford for 500 bucks a quarter? And, uh, and that's, you know, UC Davis. It's like this. It's, it's the Harvard. It's the Stanford of veterinary schools. And yet it was that inexpensive. It was so easy. I and mean, I graduated with zero debt. Understand? I mean, look, I put three kids through private schools, and you know, at fifty k a year, it's get frightening. It really is. But it's sad that the, it's the money situation that is affecting whether or not people become whatever the profession is. It could be anything, but certainly veterinary medicine, near and dear to me, and uh, that's a shame. Now, also, uh, as we there's another couple of studies on diets, and we're going to talk about these, and we're going to break for our halfway point. But that, of course, diet can play a role in the formation of bladder stones, which, you know, we knew that not only formation, but also in prevention. So we can prevent it and treat depending on the type of stone, something you need to talk to your veterinarian about. And as I said, while on the subject of nutrition, I know we've talked about this, but this is coming from a very dear friend and colleague, Dr. Ernie Ward out of North Carolina, who is the runs petobesityprevention.org. It's a great website. Learn about what your pets should be eating. But anyway, Ernie, reminding everybody, the increased incidences of diseases like diabetes, cancer, kidney disease, heart and respiratory disease, increased incidence of skin problems, joint locomotor problems, all these things related to obesity, over being overweight and obese. They say on average, a non-obese dog will live on average two and a half years longer than their obese counterpart. So when you think of that, and if you want to put it to that kind of perspective, then uh, you might consider keeping your pets nice and lean. And, um, you know, like what are, sometimes you hear women say, you can't be too too thin or too rich. I'm not sure about that, but anyway. Then uh, lastly, they found that certain gastrointestinal problems, all right, that can present with skin issues, which I found very interesting. And they're called erythematous macules or erythroderma. I mean, that's a fancy name for a rash that your skin gets very red. Erythema is like a, an inflammation. It's a red rash. And certain GI gastrointestinal upsets not only could present with obviously GI gastrointestinal signs, but also with skin issues, as well as a drug reaction. And so interesting that I read this because to bring it home, I, as I said, I was up for snowboarding in Park City, caught an edge. Anyone who snowboards, you know what that means. I went down pretty fast because I was going pretty fast and I landed right on my left shoulder, the same shoulder that I injured playing ball about a year and a half ago. That was getting kind of better. It's, it wasn't stopping me from doing anything, but I knew that at some point I'd probably consider getting it fixed. It's a rotator cuff. Anyway, sure enough, I did an MRI. One of my, the tendons of my rotator is completely shot full thickness, but I was taking ibuprofen and I was getting this wicked rash on my legs and my arms. And I call a friend of mine who's a dermatologist. And um, I said, it's so weird. I took a picture, sent him the picture. And I said, I, I even said in my note to him when I sent the pictures, you know, it almost looks like some sort of like drug reaction that I was seeing in a dog. And I was taking, I told him about my injury and I told him I was taking ibuprofen. And he calls me back and he says, absolutely. And it's probably the ibuprofen. And it's not uncommon for people taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to get a dermatologic rash. 
if you uh, get a reaction, which means I probably can't take ibuprofen anymore. Anyway, don't go away. We're going to be back. We're going to talk about salvage procedures, what that means, what it means to you, what it means to your pet, and uh, give you some guidelines, uh, at least my own guidelines, uh, when to think about it. We'll be right back after these short Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. As a dog, I know a lot about fleas and ticks, so trust me when I say no other tasty chew protects dogs as long as Brevecto. One Brevecto chew keeps fleas and ticks away for up to 12 weeks. Be a good human and ask your vet about Brevecto. Brevecto may cause vomiting. He was malnourished and emaciated. Constant scratching and just being unpleasant. He was shedding excessively. He was losing his fur. Franklin was rescued from the streets of Los Angeles. Bear was a rescue from the same shelter in Kansas City, Missouri, that I got J.J. the Terrier. I found his raw meat diet, which is raw meat, eggs, rice, and Dinovite and Licko Chops. His omega-3 supplement on Dinovite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. I've got my ground beef, the Dynavite, and I just mix it all together with the eggs and the shells. Franklin, he's thriving. His coat is soft and shiny. He's shedding much less. They're much happier. Their coats are better. Their behavior, especially their behavior, is better. How do you feed your shelter dog to derive a great attitude? Start that little pet off right. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Just go to Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here at Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Reach me, 877-385-8882, or join us here live, Pet Life Radio. Click on Ask the Vets tab, scroll down to the Google Hangouts link left on the uh, site right there by uh, Mark Winter, our producer, and join us live. It would be great to talk to you. So um, before the break, we were talking about what we call salvage procedures. They're sort of like the last resort of a procedure, of a trying to deal with the problem. What would be some salvage procedures? You have a bad leg that, let's say, is cancer or some sort of growth or some sort of fracture that would be way difficult to fix or a congenital problem that is causing some major issues for the pet. And um, the end stage, the last resort procedure would be, let's remove the limb, okay? That's a last resort procedure. It's not, and by the way, not always the wrong thing to do, but that is a last word. You're having a damaged eye, and doing what's called an enucleation, removing the entire eye procedure. So I really wanted to clarify for you because it's very easy to throw that around. And believe it or not, sometimes it's way easier to do that last resort to solve that problem, do that salvage procedure, because it's cheaper, it's often easier, and instead of really working to make this thing work. And I really have a conversation with your veterinarian when that discussion comes up. And I'll give you, you know, examples on both ways. That you know, if you have a, for example, a confirmed bone cancer, osteosarcoma, and you want to do the best, the treatment of choice is to amputate and to do certain chemotherapies. There's also options you have a radiation therapy, but it's not. It wouldn't be wrong there to amputate. In fact, it would probably be the treatment of choice. There are digit problems 
uh, those are toes and fingers and toes kind of thing, that interestingly, a nail bed infection is sometimes just as bad as a nail bed cancer. And the treatment for both often is to amputate. Now, however, if one with a nail bed infection opted to do everything to save the toe and opted to treat, you can do that. It's okay. Certainly, if it's a known nail bed cancer, it would not be okay to be conservative. And that's the case in point I'm dealing with right now with one of my dogs, Pierce, who's my 12 and a half year old Labradoodle. He had a growth that we noticed on his one of his toes, on his back feet. And I was, I'm, I sorry, no, front foot. It's his left front foot. And he was limping on it. And I you know, inspect around the toes. I inspect the foot. I can feel this kind of growth looking thing that looked pretty infected. So we stuck a needle into it. And it came back many different possibilities. And this that's a problem sometimes when we're dealing with what we call needle aspirates. They're not necessarily always diagnostic. They give you all sorts of different cells, some of them representative of what the real problem is and some of them not. So you're oftentimes left with kind of you're scratching your head and you're, do I want to make a call based on just a cytology unless it's a definite definitive? So uh, what I did was I anesthetized him. I removed this kind of ugly mass, sewed up what I could. So I, he's got some secondary intention healing. And I'm going to send this thing off. What I did, I sent it off to the lab. And my thought was that if it comes back just infection, I'm going to see how I may not have to amputate his little toe. And if it does come back true cancer by giving them the actual tissue instead of just a needle aspirate, then yes, we're going to go ahead and remove the digit. But case in point, the other way, being a little bit conservative, I work with a lot of rescues and someone brought in a little rescue kitten. This thing was adorable. It had to be maybe 12 weeks old. And I'm mean, still a little teeny kitty. And his left eye was shot beyond recognition. Probably had, as one as did one of his litter mates, a severe respiratory infection. Probably ended up having what is called a dysmetaceal and finally a ruptured cornea. And it was a mess. And I literally had him anesthetized with the intent to remove the eye. So I'm sitting here and I'm examining this dog. I have these, what they're called loops. They're ultra magnifying surgical lenses that you put on. I'm sure you've seen TV shows of doctors wearing these things. And um, put on my loops and I, I start cleaning around the cornea. I'm looking at the tissue. I'm looking at the, and I say to myself, you know what? If I take this eye out, there is no turning back. That is a true salvage procedure. And guess what? I can take the eye out in two weeks and three weeks and four weeks, anytime. That's the cop out. Let me see what I can do. So clean the eye. I have my loops on. I enjoy doing some really cool corneal surgery. And I get my very, very fine suture material, clean it up, and I sew up this cornea. And then I do what's called a third eyelid flap. And I do what's called a temporary tarsorophy, which is where we sew the lids shut. It's just temporary, but leaving a little opening in the inside corner, of course, for the administration of medication. We leave it in a place. I left it in a place for three weeks. We examine the, kit, the kitten every week. And then I, I open up the tersorophy, take my little stints out, which we, I was holding up the third eyelid. And it was unbelievable. But this cat has a, an intact cornea. I can actually see the iris now. I don't believe he'll be able to use that eye for sight. But cosmetically, and he is the cutest kitten. He is running around. It is amazing, absolutely amazing. The healing power of these animals is so cool. So I saved the eye, and you know we, I could have always taken it. And if it didn't work, I and I told the rest group, and I and I told my staff, look, I, look, I could take the eye out in two weeks from now. That, that's not a big deal. But at least let's try. If we can save it, why not give it a shot? Give this little kitten a shot. And um, that's what we did. And uh, it is when when you have cases like that, it's the best thing ever. So anyway. 
Thanks for joining me here. I hope to be with you next week. I'm going to resume right to my home studio after my CBS segment that I'm doing. Um, if you are in the West, you can check me out on KCBS or KCAL. Um, and uh, otherwise, um, have a great Christmas if I don't have a chance to talk to you. And a uh, wonderful New Year. Uh, the way it's working, I don't know if I'll even be doing New Year's Eve, um, which is a Sunday. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that. Anyway, um, if you would like, I would love to have you uh, as my Instagram buddy. So please follow me at, at Dr. Jeff Werber. I'm actually trying to make a hit a new milestone. If you go on and you see my followers, you'll know what I mean by that. And um, so um, join me. And uh, if you have any pictures, send them to me. If, not, if you're too embarrassed to call or join me on the show, at the very least, we can post pictures of you and your pets on Pet Life Radio with Ask the Vets, Dr. Jeff um, page. And once again, thank you to Brevecto to save us life to more than a cone. And um, that's Kong Veterinary Products. And we will hopefully be here next week. Have a great week, everybody. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.